Welcome to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Jason Meeker. I'm the executive producer of the Successful Farming TV show on RFD-TV, and I'm also the host of this podcast. Make sure you check out the podcast page on our website at agriculture.com slash podcast. You can get more information about this show, our guests, and you can listen to other episodes. Let me know what you think of the show by emailing the show at podcast at agriculture.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jason Meeker. I got to tell you, I am really excited about today's show. I've been a fan of Drew Hastings' comedy for a long time, and I was really glad that he agreed to come on the show and talk with me. As you'll hear, Drew has some strong opinions, and he's never been shy about sharing them. Drew has been a well-known stand-up comic for 20-plus years. He's had comedy specials, Tonight Show appearances, and he's been a regular favorite on the Bob and Tom radio show. Once a loft-living city dweller, he left Los Angeles at age 50 to take up farming in rural Ohio, where he has a cow-calf operation and very funny tales to go with it. He recently was re-elected to his second-term mayor in the rural city of Hillsborough, Ohio, where his politically incorrect candor is often controversial, but usually well-received. Drew Hastings is the most unlikely farmer and mayor you've ever met. Drew Hastings, thanks for talking with me today. Um, I want to hear how you got started in stand-up. Kind of go through... um, kind of go through that part of your career well how i got started in stand-up jason was you know it's funny i actually i've been self-employed since i was 18 i owned a small warehousing and trucking business and i was running my business and i would sleep on the floor in my office at night and get up in the morning and unload trucks with forklifts and then I'd put on a sport coat in the afternoon and go call on businesses and you know typical um you know self-employed business person starting up and I was going along for a couple years and all of a sudden I started seeing oh god there's a lot of regulations they're telling me you know OSHA's coming in telling me what color of lines they want painted on my floor and this agency's telling me um who I should hire and what color and how many and this and that and this person wants this kind of reporting and you know I thought well, where the heck were these people when I was starting this business and sleeping on the floor right. and I did my business for about 6 or 7 years and I decided you know what I think I don't want any um interference so I think I'm just going to go on my own. I've always been interested in stand-up, and I'm going to go do stand-up comedy because nobody can tell you what to do. So I sold my business. Well, sorry and, to interrupt. Where was, the, uh, where was this located geographically, your, uh, your business? In downtown Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay, that's what I thought. I was in downtown Cincinnati back when you could, get, <laughs> you could have warehouse space pretty cheap. You can't now, but right. they're probably loft apartments. But so... Um, so I did that, and I had some money saved up, and I started doing stand-up comedy. Um, and I was an opening act, and I got paid a few hundred dollars a week and kept at it, and I worked my way up to the point where I could support myself, and and then I just never looked back. And I've done it for about 25 years. Okay. Um, it took a turn. I was late. I was not a typical stand-up comedian by any means. For one thing... Uh, I didn't start stand-up till I was about 32 years old, which is unusual. Number two, I um, I tend to be... I'm a conservative 
and I'm pro-business and no-nonsense, but I never considered myself to be a, quote, conservative comedian or anything like that. That's just kind of who I was, and that's going to show up in your comedy, just by nature of the material you write. So I would go along and had a big following in the Midwest. And then I went out to Hollywood. I was out there um, about 13 years. Never liked it. Um, it's a soulless place to be. In fact, I'll, t- I'll tell you, Jason, um, I have a saying about Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, the sun doesn't set. It just gives up and drops into the ocean with a bitter hiss. <laughs> <laughs> so I was out there. Um, that's a whole other interview is what a nightmare that place is, <laughs> but I didn't care for it. I'm a Midwest guy. Um, and I was coming on about 50 years old and I, I was well respected out there. I'd done a number of one man shows, a lot of TV pilots, mm-hmm. uh, was this close to getting shows on the air a number of times. Um, and it just didn't happen. That's the way it is in Hollywood. And it didn't help that I was kind of a little bit of an outspoken, opinionated, conservative guy. Um, And I was coming on 50, and I said, you know what, I want to get out of here. My strong suit is touring. That's what I really liked doing. And I thought, I can do that from anywhere. So I put all my stuff in a U-store at U-Locket in Cincinnati, Ohio. And I drove around southern Ohio for three months and stayed in little places and camped out and uh, stayed in small towns, and I finally ran into Hillsborough, Ohio, and I said, you know, I think I'm going to get a farm, and I want to do something completely different. You know, when you're a creative person, you kind of want things to jolt you. So I wanted to do something I'd never done in my life, and I was alien to me, and I'd always lived urban. So mm-hmm. I said, well, let's buy a farm in the country. That'll be different. So that's what I did. Yeah, and that was the genesis to how I ended up farming. Okay, great. So you, your warehouse business starting out, um, you weren't unfamiliar with hard work, obviously. No, uh, physical not at all. physical work. Not that I mean, not that stand up isn't hard, but it's not f- as physical as uh, farming or no what you were doing before. So that's right. Um, so who were some of your influences in comedy starting out? Oh, boy. Well, I didn't realize. I always liked him a lot. But later in life, I really realized just how good he was. And that was Johnny Carson. Mm. Because Johnny Carson, though I didn't think he was the hippest comedian, and he wasn't the, you know, edgiest guy out there. And my stuff tended to have some edge to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I realized later, as I was older, that what made him so good is that he was universally liked yeah. and that he was pretty clean and universally funny. And he made it look effortless, mm-hmm. which is one of the keys to doing that. And he did it night after night after night for 30 years. And uh, I just think he was an amazing guy. I was also um, influenced by, I liked Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. Woody Allen had a, a lot of people don't know his uh, stand-up comedy career before he ever went into the movies. Um, his stuff was very kind of cerebral and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, kind of New York uh, 
intelligent, that kind of thing. But I always liked him. And then, of course, I liked Richard Pryor. And uh, I liked Richard Pryor because he was very um, blunt and honest and no BS about him. Which I've always kind of prided myself on being. So right, yeah, definitely. From Those were my, uh, I would say, three big influences. Great. Uh, how how closely do you follow some of the current um, kind of current trends in stand up, and and who who do you like today, if if anybody? <sighs> well, you know that's funny because I barely follow anybody today. Okay. And that is because, in fact, it's funny. I just tweeted. Uh, something, I think it was this morning, where, and I'm paraphrasing, mm -hmm. if you were to go up and read my tweet, I'm paraphrasing, but I said something like, in my 25 years of stand-up comedy, I have never seen my fellow comedians more at a loss for being funny. <laughs> they are ideologically hamstrung, and their political correctness, they have painted themselves in a corner. And that's how I feel about stand-up today. Um, you know, stand-up comedy is a rebellious act. Mm -hmm. And by its very nature, um, yes, it's there are um, exceptions to that. You know, George Goebel, uh, an old guy who you probably haven't even heard of, but, you know, there are people that can tell very nice, funny stories, mm -hmm. and they aren't rebellious, and they're very funny. But the act, the art of stand-up is essentially rebellious. It's, it, you know, you kind of go against the establishment a little bit, and you call out hypocrisy, and you, and, and, and the things that don't make sense to us on an everyday basis. And, you know, so that's done. The problem with comedy and comedians today is a lot of them so a lot of them have aligned themselves with liberals. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because liberal Hollywood dictates that you kind of need to toe the line as a comedian or you simply just don't get much work. Um and that's a little bit unspoken, right. but that's that's the truth. Um so they tend to at least pay lip service to being liberals. And the problem with that, Jason, is that um, they aren't talking about what should be talked about. You know, the world is going to hell in a handbasket if you pick up the headlines. Mm -hmm. There should be all kinds of crazy material out there for people um, on an observational basis. But I've noticed all of the stand-up comedians, and I'm talking very well-known ones, right. are all over Twitter, and I noticed none of them say anything funny. <laughs> it's all, that Trump has got to be stopped. Did you see what Trump and Attorney General Sessions did today? And it's, it's almost, they're, they're fixated on it. Right. And I look at it, and I'm like, Jesus, gentlemen, uh, let's get with the... <laughs> You know, you need to remember what you originally, you know, were doing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's a lot of the problem. And political correctness, um, they can't speak their mind about anything uh, for fear of being censored or whatever. So or the backlash, yeah. The backlash. And I don't worry about it. You know, the only I, – I definitely don't worry about it as a comedian. Where I actually do worry about it 
which is um, probably an area you and I'll cover here, mm-hmm. as mayor. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, as mayor, even though I'm outspoken and kind of politically incorrect, you know, I still represent a small Midwest city. So I have to be somewhat mindful um, if I say stuff that, um, you know, that I'm not um, misrepresenting my community much. But I'll give you a perfect example if I can. Mm And I know I'm talking on and on and on. No, that, that's, nobody wants to hear my voice. They want to hear you. So. <laughs> well, you don't know that. Um, but here's a perfect example. Um, we had our first uh, transgender student here in Hillsborough okay. a while back. Mm-hmm. And there was a big thing in the paper. And the transgender student wanted uh, special bathroom rights. And uh, the, the school tried to didn't know what to do. They were kind of flummoxed, and uh, what do we do? And they offered him, uh, "Well, we'll get your your own bathroom here, you know, with your kind of with a designation on or whatever." No, that wasn't good enough. Like all over the country, no, I want every bathroom modified that I so I can go into any bathroom. Right. So at that point, I saw the ridiculousness of this, and I came in and I said, "Look, here's what I propose you do." We go by what I call the Hastings rule of thumb on transgenders. And that is, if it's smaller than your thumb, use that bathroom over there. (laughs) And if it's bigger than your thumb, use that bathroom over there. And which has a lot of common sense to it, right? Mm -hmm, But it's also funny. Mm -hmm. Now, could I get some big backlash from that? Of course I could. But... My community, I think here, would see the humor in that, and also that would be their sensibility. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. And, and yeah, you're representing them, but they elected you knowing... Who I was. Yeah, knowing who you were, so... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's great. True. So... Now, Stanford up there in Iowa, where you are, uh, um, I, I'm always a little surprised in Iowa. I, I do a lot of farm and ag shows. Mm-hmm. Um, private shows, like for seed companies and farm credit and, you know, FFA and all this stuff. And I do a lot of farm and ag shows. And I've noticed that Iowa, um, and I tend to think all farmers tend to be kind of common sense conservatives. It's not necessarily true up there in Iowa. (laughs) Right. Um, And that always uh, throws me a little bit. Yeah. uh, I lived in Columbus for, for 10 years. Um, before I came, I grew up in Iowa, then lived in Columbus and then came back. And yeah, it's, I didn't realize my my wife is from Ohio. And so she, Ah. she notices the Iowa stuff way before I do. But now that she's pointed it out to me, I'm like, Oh yeah, huh? That is an Iowa thing, isn't it? So, Uh yeah, but it's, uh, but I love it up there. You know, it's funny. My first real following that I had as a stand up comedian was in Iowa. Uh, actually, Eastern Iowa. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my gosh! Uh, when I f- my first ten, fifteen years in the business, I used to play from Anamosa. Do you know where that mm-hmm. is? Yep. Anamosa. Oh my gosh! All the way down to Keokuk. Yep. Um, oh Dubuque. Um, everywhere down in Waterloo. Everywhere. In Eastern Iowa. In fact, what's fu- oh, it's funny. I just remembered this. I'm going to put in a quick plug. Okay. I'm playing Burlington, Iowa, mm-hmm. this Saturday. 
Okay. So I don't know well, if your well, podcast will be out by then, but this Saturday I'm at the Capitol Theater in Burlington, Iowa, which will be fun. It'll be one of my first public shows in a while. So that's that. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, I saw that you were going to be in Burlington, but uh, um, we'll try to make sure this gets posted. And, and uh, anybody that's listening in the Burlington area, if it's before Saturday, the what is it, the, the first? Uh-huh, yeah. Make sure you go check it out. All right, so let's yeah. go back to uh, 2006. Yeah. What were your kind of what were your goals? What what did you have in in mind when you decided to take on farming, having never done it before? Well, so I bought the farm. Uh, it was about forty five acres. Okay. Um, mostly pasture. Mm-hmm. Um, old farm. Uh, I've got a bank barn on it from about 1870. Um, and then uh, the original farmhouse is gone. Um, there's a newer, small ranch house on there now. And uh, so I bought the farm. And as I kind of looked around, I said, well, I guess I need to start farming. <laughs> and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wanted to do livestock of some type. So I started asking, I started talking to farmers, and I would look into stuff, and I had kind of <clears throat> read about sheep, and then I read about um, goats, and then I read about cattle and, and pigs, and everybody around here raises uh, cattle for the most part. Right. And it's funny, in fact, actually, Hillsborough, Ohio here is the only city east of the Mississippi River that has two livestock auction houses. Hmm. So we run a lot of cattle through here. So I started pestering farmers, and I would, and as you know, the most farmers are older now. It's an mm-hmm. aging population. And I would go around, and I'm a really curious guy. So I would ask them all, uh, how do you do this? Why do you do this this way? What's that mean? Oh, my gosh, how'd you lose those two fingers? I don't <laughs> want to lose my fingers. What did you do? Um, and they take it all with a grain of salt. They were all, you know, pretty uh, <laughs> sympathetic to my plight, and they would—they uh, were pretty helpful. I think they just liked being asked advice and their opinion on stuff. And I would—I would just slowly learn stuff. So I got some cattle. And uh, let me preface this okay. with saying that anybody out there, of your listeners, who thinks that I have farming down pat. I will tell you, there was just a few months ago, I chased a newborn calf halfway across my pasture before I figured out it was a black hefty bag blowing across the field. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that'll that uh, tell you where I am at times. <laughs> so I get the farm, and I uh, decide to look into some cattle. And, you know, I tell a story on stage where I say my first livestock deal went horribly awry. Um, and I had bought a herd of black Angus hogs, <laughs> and I thought they'd look short coming off the truck, miniature cattle in my butt. And, you know, so, you know, I kind of made a few jokes like that, and I they were just jokes I'd make, and I thought, okay, well, but I never thought of making any farming material out of my farming. I just, you know, was kind of trying to learn how to be a cow-calf producer. Right. So... And I would learn about hay and forage, and, you know, I'm still learning. I read an article today that this is how naive I am. 
this is ex- this is how how call it uh, naive or call it innocent, okay. Jason, about how I still am in farming after ten years. I got the uh, like Ohio beef or grazing newsletter or something, mm-hmm. and there was an article about how you shouldn't let your cows out too soon right now to graze because the green is there's grass just coming up and there's not enough and they're just eating it down too fast and the grass doesn't get a chance. And uh, it said, you know, your pasture, your blades of grass, your clover, they're like solar panels. Mm. You know, they're, the Mm -hmm. green is, they're solar panels and they have to be able to grow up and stuff to be able to absorb the sun. And I'm like, solar panels wow yeah they're like solar panels and and of course probably every farmer really realizes that knows that but it was just when it was put that way that it was like a solar panel wow yeah so i immediately herded up my cattle and put them into a small feedlot <laughs> today <laughs> i did this and got them out of the pa- one of my pastures and uh started putting the hay in the little small feedlot that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it's funny, I'm learning stuff every day. So you're mainly... I think I completely digressed no. from what it was you asked no. me. No, I, I was kind of looking for that exact kind of uh, kind of insight. So, um, yeah, ah. perfect. So uh. Uh, so you, you said it's mainly a cow-calf pasture. Um, have you tried any other... Have you, have you ever thought of doing real crops or vegetables or like farmer's market type um, vegetables or anything like that? Or are you, you sticking stri- strictly to cow-calf with pasture and Well, cow-calf. Um, I've got uh, I break up my pastures into, I've got rotational grazing. I've got a small hay field. Um, you know, I t- uh, it's funny. I tell a, occasionally I'll tell a story about when I tried to plant a garden over in the side of my yard big open space and I could tell that the lady who had the farm before me um, she had a garden out there and I thought oh I'll do a garden and I didn't know anything about it and uh, so I said well how hard can it be and I was all excited because I was I was reading an article that said if you do your own garden you get your vegetables at pennies a serving Mm -hmm. oh my gosh you can't do better than that so I go out and I go to the garden center and I buy all these flats these flats of onions and tomatoes and stuff and I bring them back and I go in the kitchen and I get like a big serving spoon or something and I go out in the yard and I start digging plugs out of my lawn <laughs> and I'm putting the plants in there and a buddy of mine comes by and uh, stops over. What are you doing, Drew? Well, I'm planting a garden. Well, dude, you can't plant a garden by digging plugs out of your lawn and dropping a plant in there. you got to break up all that soil. you got to till the soil. I'm like, well, how am I going to do that? He says, well, go rent a rototiller. Mm-hmm. It'll cost you about 25 bucks a day. Well, my first thought is, well, that's suddenly now pennies a serving is up to quarters a serving, yeah. right? <laughs> so I get this rototiller, and I don't know if you are familiar with the rototillers, Jason. Yeah, I am. But you are? Mm-hmm. Well, then you know that they're essentially a jackhammer <laughs> that pulls you across your entire lawn, tearing all of the upper musculature away from your skeletal frame in the process. Um. So I laid in bed for two days, uh, a bunch of pain meds, um, and uh, kind of out of it for two days because I couldn't even move my arms. I was so beat up from that. And then uh, my wife says, you know, hey, are you going to go out and take care of that garden? Well, 
No, what do I got to do? Well, have you been watering it? How often do you have to water it? Every day, she says. Well, if I wanted those kind of demands put on me, I would have had children. So <laughs> I finally get out, and I'm, now i got to buy hoses and sprinklers, and now suddenly I need farm credit to get this darn garden <laughs> off the ground. So anyway, to make a long story short, um, uh, I finally ended up with some semblance of a garden, and I actually took uh, some of the stuff I don't, I would sell CDs and T-shirts after shows, and and that year I took tomatoes and tried to sell them at sixty-five dollars a quart to get my money back. <laughs> so, but uh, that was my one foray into tillable and into crops. Uh, so no, I stick with cows. Um, commercial, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've got oh anywhere usually from ten head up to twenty. Okay. And um, I don't like heifers. Uh, first time I had a heifer, um, of course, the calf had to be pulled, and the calf died, and mm, I didn't like that. No. So I said, what the heck with this? I want cows that are old enough where they just go and drop them and keep walking. So I like nice five-year-old cows, okay. and uh, that's what I do. In fact, I've got one due today. I was out there this morning to see if she'd um, delivered, and she hadn't, and uh and it's funny, see, most farmers would know this right off the top of their head, like, oh, they can tell when the cow calf's going to come and this and that. And I, I went around the back of the cow, and I was like, it seems like I remember seeing or reading that they, they, they kind of open up in the back and they, you know, swell up in the back right before they're going to deliver. And mm-hmm. I didn't see anything weird. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess she's not yet. And, uh, but I still, you know, I, I still am just amazed by it. I come home and I'm like, oh, there's a calf there. Oh, good. <laughs> Well, there's one down, but I don't do anything magic about it. You know, I'm sure a lot of farmers, they, oh, this one's getting ready to deliver. I better get it in the barn over here by itself. And I don't do any of that. I'm just like, well, you know, they, they did this for a hundred thousand years before me. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) And they all seem to survive and they do well. And then I'll get the vet out afterwards and, you know, I'm all looked at, but. You know, it's funny. I'll tell you an interesting perception. You know, the big thing in politics anymore, as you know, in farm and ag, is urban versus rural. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really the big thing that I think uh, small towns fight and farmers fight and people that produce food. Uh, It's misperception. Um, They have no idea how food is made and what we do to make food and produce. And I... I I told this in a speech a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, I'm a cow-calf producer. I have a bull that comes in, and he does my cows, and then they get pregnant, and then they have a calf. And so when I look at a cow-calf pair, that's what I see, a cow-calf pair. Mm -hmm. Now, when some of my more liberal friends come out to visit me from the city, come out to the farm, they don't see a cow-calf pair, Jason. They see a single-parent household, <laughs> predominantly black, and probably in need of some kind of government assistance. <laughs> so that, in a nutshell, is the difference that's, that's between the difference. Okay. urban and rural. <laughs> so how, how, makes sense? Yeah, totally makes sense. That's a, that's a great, uh, great insight again. Mm. Um, thank you. So, 
how's your farm different today than it was 10 years ago, nine years ago when you were first starting out? Uh, I've, <laughs> I've realized the importance of good fencing. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I have better fencing. Um, in fact, my fencing was so bad, I almost started to write a book called Heifers in the Mist. <laughs> uh, that's how many of them would get out. Um, <clears throat> so I have better fencing. I have rotational grazing because I read up on that and that seemed to make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I have better pastures now. I do frost seeding and I, you know, I do a little bit of spraying and stuff, but I don't do a ton of spraying in this net. Um, so you mentioned... I try to I try to plant hardwoods, believe it or not. Oh, now you might okay. think, a lot of farmers might think that's dumb, but, you know, there's a... You know, it's funny. I've realized something about farms. And there was a period for a, uh, about five years ago, right before I ran for mayor, mm-hmm. There was a period where I didn't have any cows. Uh, I'd sold them off, and I was really busy touring and getting ready to run for mayor. And my farm wasn't doing anything. It was just there, lying fallow, whatever. And it really got to me. And I realized, at least, and I'm sure a lot of farmers feel this way, maybe. I don't know. I did. There was something to me almost immoral about having a farm and not having it produce. Mm-hmm. A farm is not meant to just lie there and overgrown. Right. Um, does that make any sense? Yeah, that that that, that makes great sense. Um, it it it's, yeah. it's a it's a wasted just resource. My kind of revelation um, that that you know I'm like well, you know. Me having a farm without farming, I'm just an old man with a huge backyard. <laughs> right. Right? So I got cattle again not long after that. But where was this going? Um, How, uh, this was this yeah. was going somewhere. Uh, you're talking about hardwoods. Oh, hardwoods, yeah. Well, you know, we're losing a lot of trees over here to uh, emerald ash borer. Yeah. Our ash trees are almost all dead. And uh, most of the trees on my farm were ash. And, you know, and then you lose some to the wind and this and that. And I started planting some hardwoods a few years ago. And, you know, I always look at farms when I drive around. And I'm like, I always notice that farmers have, like, maybe out in a big field, there will be a big tree out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's to get some shade and maybe eat lunch under it or whatever. And I'm like, you know, farms should have some big hardwoods on them. Yeah. Either for the next, maybe after I'm dead and gone, there will be a family here. And they'll have a kid that wants to put a tire swing up <laughs> or play under a big tree. And I know it sounds sappy, but I think you should have a farm should be farmy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I like planting hardwoods, and hopefully somebody one day will say, well, you know, I don't know who the hell planted these trees, but I'm sure glad they planted some oaks and some elms and some maples and some different trees around here. Um, 
and got them going. And I will tell you, nothing will make me curse faster and rant and rave than, oh, I can't even tell you how many mistakes I made trying to plant hardwoods out near where my cattle are. They have, I don't even have to tell you guys this, I'm sure, how cattle know a new sapling that you've planted in the middle of nowhere, Mm -hmm. I don't know, but they know. And they will tromp it over, eat it, kill it. It's gone the next day. And I would get so mad. Oh. So now, when I plant a little tree, I might buy one that's 15 feet tall and two inches around, right? Okay. But now i got to go through and put in step in electric around it or drive four poles and some barbed wire. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, i got to do all this to plant this one tree to keep these stupid cows away? So... That's the biggest hindrance, actually, to planting any trees on my property. And so if any farmers out there want to write to me at DrewHastings.com, please, if you have any advice how I can plant hardwoods out there and my cattle not crush them and eat them and knock them over, I would sure appreciate it. All right. We'll see, yeah. we'll see what we can find. Um, no, no, I haven't even asked you. Do you farm? I, I don't. I grew up, my, my family did. Um, but okay. I, I do not now currently know. So uh-huh. we, we had what hogs. County? The, what county? Um, yeah. lo, uh, well, when I was young, uh, Louisa County in uh, in southeastern Iowa. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then we moved to Polk County, which my dad had a hog farm in um, what is what is now a sub subdivision. Uh-huh. Um, just north of Des Moines. But uh uh, we had hogs, and then then we moved to town when I was in grade school. So, but yeah. my grandpa my grandpa was a hog farmer and raised corn and soybeans in Louisa County for until he passed away. Soybeans? Yeah. No, I don't like to mess with the exotics. You're asking <laughs> for trouble with that kind of stuff. But yeah, so but yeah, I I am not. Uh, I live in town, so but. Uh, I understand the uh, the amount of work and the amount of uh, planning and 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 obviously doing this job every day. Um, get to talk to a lot of farmers and interact with a lot of them. So, yep. So I'm aware. Um, so you're you're on the farm and um, still doing still doing the comedy stuff and you talked about uh doing events for a lot of agricultural companies and and um, private shows and stuff like that how has how has your material changed um since you've been working on the farm you know that's actually a really interesting question um i was just telling someone this a few weeks ago and i you know it's funny my background is a nightclub comedian and a rather edgy one. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I played Las Vegas. I would play, you know, various comedy clubs. Um, you know, I uh, and I toured, and that's what I did. And I was known for being, uh, you know, um, oh, I don't think I was known as an off-color comedian. I mean, not that I wouldn't cuss or, right. you know, have some sexually oriented material, but, you know, I had some. But I was just kind of known as an edgy kind mm-hmm. of, Uh, social commentary comedian and it's funny because now if you flash forward 10 11 years 
I do very few public shows, mm -hmm. and most of the shows that I do are what I call corporates. They're farm and ag shows. They might be, uh, you know, it could be a seed company, it could be a, you know, farm bureau, whatever, but mm -hmm. it's a farm ag show. And my stuff is all very PG, family friendly. And I, I really realized that I was, I was getting ready to go on at an event and I was looking out at the audience and there were kids in the audience, mm -hmm. you know, with the, and there were children kind of there at the table, the families. And I thought, boy, have things changed. Right. You know, it used to be you would look around and your big worry was, oh, are there any drunk people out here? There going to be a problem for the show. And right. now it's like, oh, I've got some noisy kids here, <laughs> you know? So, and it's funny because I never consciously meant to go that route. I just, as I was on the farm, I mean, I guess it's my nature. I would come up with material. I would go on the Bob and Tom radio show, which mm -hmm. I was on a lot. And I would do some farming material and I'd say funny comments. And, um, and you know, and then I had 10 minutes of farm material and then I had 20. And then, you know, somebody would act, write to me and email me and say, well, can you do a farm event? And I'd say, well, yeah, I've only got 20, 30 minutes, but yeah, okay. And then I would do it, and then it just kind of evolved from there. And then as I did more and more of them, um, I started gearing towards them because I realized that the average farm and ag audience was an audience that I really liked mm -hmm. because they tend to be, quote, what I call common sense conservative. Mm -hmm. So I could put my opinions on society out there, you know, kind of this, we're all going to hell in a handbasket. In fact, I don't even think we make our own handbaskets <laughs> in America anymore. And I could, you know, put that kind of stuff out there and it would be well received because the typical farm ag audience was the same mentality as me. So that made it um, easier and, you know, uh, for me to go that route. And then here I am today, and uh, that's predominantly what I do, yeah. Mm -hmm. The only people that like you to get a little more racy are cattlemen, cattlemen's <laughs> banquets. Yeah. They want you to get off color, and they're all drunk. <laughs> 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 yeah, they're a far cry from the no-till people. <laughs> right. That's straight-laced. <laughs> yeah. In fact, it's funny. I'll be out there in Iowa. Uh, I just got hired to do the national, what is it, the Junior Angus show you have out there? Um, That's in uh, July. Okay. Yeah. It's like the Junior Angus, Angus Congress or okay. something. The big Junior Angus thing. I'll be out there in July doing that. All right, cool. So that'll be fun. Well, yeah. Keep an eye out for that. Cool. Um, so what advice would you give to any stand-up comedians in their 50s thinking about getting started in agriculture? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um the same advice that I've read about planting hardwoods. The best time to go into farming was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Have you ever heard that about trees? Oh, yeah, planting a yeah. tree, the best time. The best time. time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. So I would say the same thing. Um, here's what I would say. You know, this is an observation I had. Uh, about a year or two after I moved, you know, I was a typical city guy, mm -hmm. neurotic, lived in Hollywood. And for a year or so, I was depressed. I was seeing a therapist 
in Hollywood. And I moved and I came out and I got the farm. And about a year went by and I was in a much better mood. And I realized, you know what? I never did need therapy. All I needed to do was chores. (laughs) And that is so true. And I still think about that. And that's what the one thing I like about farming is that it's very black and white. Um, you know, there's 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 no shirking on the work. You know, if you do, you're cheating yourself. You know, the, the work's got to be done. Um, and if you don't want to do the work, then don't do that aspect of farming, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But um, what I would tell a comedian is uh, hmm, it's a different audience. Your audience uh, pretty much just moves or cackles, um, or or makes big noises. Um, but um, I don't know. There's a lot of satisfaction in it. Good. Um, so uh, if you're looking to go into a second career, I would say farming is a good one. You know, I I, I when I go out, I talk. I try to humorously advocate. Um, for farming. Mm-hmm. And I talk a little bit about the disconnect between urban and rural, and I'm a perfect example of a guy who didn't know anything about farming. In fact, you know, I told, I still say that when I first went out there, I was scared to death at night. You know, the sun would go down, and you got, you couldn't see your hand in front of your mm-hmm. face on the farm, and at night it was pitch black, and I'd say, you know, did you know that at night a possum walking through a cornfield sounds exactly like three men with an axe. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, I think if you have a sense of humor, some of that stuff tends to write itself. Yeah. You know? yeah well, it's like, you know, I, what, somebody asked me a few years ago, I'd been farming, and I don't know, I had cattle for maybe two years, and they said, well, what do you do? <laughs> you do spring calves or do you fa- do fall calves, son? I say, well, how the hell do I know? Whenever the bull does them, I get a couple in April, two in August, three in October. And, uh, you know, so some of that stuff you just kind of can't make up. Right. (laughs) But um, I would say uh, I think it's an interesting time in farming. You know, I'm amazed. I go to some of these conferences like, like, say I get hired by uh, DuPont or Mm -hmm. I get hired by a Oh, a farm bureau thing. And I'll go and they'll have speakers before me or workshops during the day and I'll kind of, you know, check in on them and go in on some of them. And I'm just blown away um, by the technology that farming has available to it now. It's just amazing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't get involved with it because, you know, I've just got, you know, dozen head of cattle. But for the guys that till and the guys that do crop stuff, and I just think it's amazing, the technology out there. It's a great time, I think, for young people to get into it. Although, you know, the problem is the land prices go up, and, right. you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a big man's game, and, you know, a lot more big farm corporations are trying to buy up stuff. But if there's a way to get into it, I would highly recommend it. Yeah. And if you're a... If you're an offspring of a farmer, I would think twice before saying, Dad, I don't want anything to do with farming. Right. Because uh, I think it's a really admirable thing to do and an important thing to do. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the fabric of this damn country, for 
crying out loud. Amen. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, now the name of your show is Successful Farming, right? Right, yeah. Successful well, Farming. I'm not sure how successful I am, but... My, I started... You know. I started here about the same time my grandpa semi-retired um, from farming, and uh-huh. so I, I, you know, I'd give him a, a hat or a, a, a shirt that said "Successful Farming" on it, and he would he would say, "Well, now that I'm retired, I can actually wear this. I'm actually successful now that I've retired." So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yes, oh, that's funny. So I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, your the political um, part of your part of your life, uh, mayor of of Hillsboro. Um, why did you decide to get involved in local politics? You kind of touched on this a little bit um, when you were talking about the OSHA regulations, but um, kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, well, this goes back to 2011. Um, and obviously I thought it before then, but, you know, I was uptown one day. I own a couple of old buildings uptown, you know, the old bank building and uh, some historic buildings and stuff. And so I'm uptown a lot. And I was looking around one day and I said, God, who the heck runs this town? Chimney, I could do better than this. I mean, this town was in sad shape. You know, in the uptown, half of it was shuttered and trash in the streets and just, you know, nobody paying attention to code violation, nothing. It was just as like, God. So I decided, so my friend said, well, why don't you run for mayor? And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Maybe I will. And then, and so I did. And I knew nothing about politics, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I pride myself on that, Jason. In, in fact, today, um, I still do not hang out with politicians very often. Mm-hmm. Um, you will not very often see me in pictures with them where we're all shaking hands over a big giant check that was, you know, written or, right. you know, whatever, because I just don't, you know, I just like to get the work done. And, you know, and for me, this is a tour of duty. So, um, and I still try to be that I'm six years into this. I'm in, this is in my second year of my second term. And I still try to remember every day that I was just a ticked off American citizen uh, who ran for mayor, and I try to remain that guy um, in office every day. And, um, you know, not worry about, you know, what are people going to think, um, you know, make a decision, not be afraid to. <clears throat> um, you know, you probably see it, I, I'm betting you see it up in Iowa, a lot of the small towns, there's a lot of poverty in the small towns yeah. anymore. Yeah. And what's happening is that big cities, it's cheaper to move poor people out to rural areas. Now, I don't know how much it's happening in Iowa. It's happened all over Indiana and Ohio. Um, but it's cheaper. If You know, if you're on government assistance and living in Section 8 housing, it's a lot cheaper to build that out in Hillsboro, Ohio, than it is in Cincinnati, Ohio, right. an hour away. So that's what you find has been happening for the last 20 years. So when I came in, I'm like, well, we're not going to have much of a tax base if you keep doing this. So I kind of put a stop to all that and said, you know what? We need to be a place where baby boomers want to come because they've got money. And I believe in a small town. All, young people have always left small towns, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They, they turn 18, 19, they want to leave. And that's fine. But you want young people to come back to your small town. And not come back when they're 55, 
mm-hmm. to put their parents into assisted living. You want them to come back when they're 28 or 31 when they're starting a family. Right. You know, and they came back because they're like, son of a gun, my little town has got some stuff going on here. I'm going to move back here. So that's what I try to do. Um, I think we. I'm very proud of the work I've done here. We've turned this town around financially, amazingly. Um, this town, anybody will tell you, um, unless hundreds and hundreds of people are lying to me, but they will all tell you this town looks better than it has looked in 30 years. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm really proud of that. And um, it's not an easy job. And the reason for that is, you know, I'm, I kind of throw myself into anything I'm doing. And if you're going to be passionate about it, you know, for crying out loud, the job only pays 25000 a year. Um, I've been losing money uh, every year I've been mayor because I don't get a tour as much. Um, you know, I try to, which is part of the reason I do more corporate shows now. Um, but, you know, um, it's a job to do. And my my goal was always, if you can create a successful model for small town um, success, and then that's replicated all over in towns in the Midwest, then maybe I've accomplished something. That's, yeah. And I know that sounds like a grandiose plan, but you got to have some kind oh, of plan. Yeah, you've got to have a goal yeah. and, and uh, yeah, something to, yeah. to strive for. That's... And I'm not very apologetic. You know, I'm the last guy in our entire county who will marry people. Um, the judge, the municipal judge, quit marrying people. The county judges across the street quit marrying people. The, the judge in the next town over quit marrying people. And everybody quit marrying people because the gay marriage thing got passed. And they were like, oh, I don't want to marry gay people. So I'm just not going to, I'm going to, I guess everybody's going to get penalized. So I'm not marrying anybody. So I'm the last guy in our county who marries people. Wow. Now, I will tell you that I'm selective about who I marry. Um, and, uh, but my assistant, uh, you know, she interviews people before we marry them. And, uh, but I don't think, I don't think a young couple who comes in and wants to get married should be penalized because uh, of something our Supreme Court did right. that I don't happen to agree with. And a lot of people don't agree with. So there you go. Yeah. So now as a result of this podcast, I'm sure some activists are going to hear it. <laughs> come here and file a suit against me. And tough. We'll deal with that. Yeah. So um, you kind of talked about the reaction of kind of citizens and businesses um, in Hillsboro to your um, to your serving as mayor. What's been the reaction from some of the uh, establishment politicians, some of the... Well, I haven't been too well liked by the establishment, and I would say that's because... Well, A, I speak my mind, right. and B, I get things done. And um, a lot, there's a lot of people who don't. They do just enough to stay elected. And um, that's sad. I mean, there's people that are, you know, all over my city within, you know, a half a block that are in that position. And I think that's the... the, the I think that's the difficult part. So, for example, you know, it's harder for me to get consensus on stuff because a lot of times, you know, in a way, I was kind of a little bit like Trump back before he came on the scene. I, you know, I'm a businessman. Uh, I'm going to run things like a business. Um, And, 
you know, if something is obviously um, a dumb idea mm-hmm. and nobody's speaking up, I'm going to speak up about it. And um, so, but that's why the population here, the let me put it this way, the citizens who live in this county and city really like me. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very popular. The political establishment does not care much for me. And that's my own party, Republicans, too. Right. Um, so you can see the parallels to Washington. Yeah. And, that- and um, But that's okay, um, because we still get stuff done. And, uh, you know, I'm just like, I'm kind of that old school lead follower, get out of the way. Right. And that was... And, um, that was my yeah. next question, actually, was um, was about um, the, the current presidential, well, the you know last year's presidential race. And I was going to ask you if Donald Trump called and asked you any advice for how to run his campaign, because I see I see a lot of similarities in uh, in how you operate and and what he's what I, I perceive him trying to do. Yeah, if I was going to give him any advice as of today, I would say, because I learned a lot from when I first came in. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say, dude, stop with the rants. Stop with all the tweets. Um, First of all, they may not be beneath you, but they're beneath the office. Right. and that bothers me. And I'm sure that bothers a lot of Trump uh, supporters and voters. Um, other than that, you know, it makes me sick. If you look at the headlines, everywhere you look, it's funny. Every newspaper headline looks like a parody. It looks like the front page of The Onion. Right. You know, day 52 in Trump. What did Trump do today to piss off Americans? You know, um, Trump steals money from poor people. See page two. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just insane. Well, first of all, the guy hasn't been in office three months. Um, give him a chance to get settled. Second of all, has he made some mistakes, some stumbles? Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, who hasn't? Um, but he's also not trying to do business as usual. Right. You know, he would probably have a lot easier time if he was trying to do business as usual, but we didn't elect him to do business as usual. So you got to remember that. He was actually a very revolutionary act in this country to get him elected, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and people need to remember that. I mean, that's why the other side is so upset. I don't know. I, you know, they just are. Um but I would tell him, you know, I would tell him, settle down some and realize, hey, it's a long four years or eight years. You know, you've got to get some of these people working with you. You may not have to like them, but you need to work with them. Right. Um, you know, at least where you have to. Um, the one thing I will have to say I'm disgusted at is, the same thing everybody's seeing in the paper, which is how can the Republicans control the House, the Senate, and the White House, and all the governorships, and still have blown this health care thing? That just boggles my mind. Yeah. You know? And what that tells me is that's a Republican establishment trying to make him look bad because they don't, you know, they're upset.
getting their apple cart, you know. And um, so what are you going to do? Yeah. Write to your political establishment representative and tell them you don't like it. Tell them what, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, so um, I got one more. No, let's go into hour three. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> between um, oh my gosh, between farming, uh, comedy, and being mayor, uh, what have been some of the most rewarding aspects of each of those parts of your of your career so far? Well, <clears throat> with farming, it's just been another chapter in my life. Okay. I'm not sure there's not going to be like my legacy. It's not going to be. It's been a chapter in my life. Um, I think uh, hopefully I've been able to do some good going out and doing humor about it. Mm-hmm. And humor and sometimes making a point with people. Um, I think it lets people, you know, I tend to have long kind of spiky hair and stuff and dress a little flamboyantly at times. And I think it, I think it's good for people to see that not all farmers are just old guys in plaid shirts, you know, you know, Um, you know, I'm a different face on farming, but you know, I could say the exact same thing about me being his mayor, you know, um, there's people to this day that can't believe that I'm a Republican, um, you know, because I've got, you know, long spiky hair and, you know, I wear black turtleneck and, you know, whatever, you know. Now, today, I'm in boots with manure all over them and, <laughs> and jeans and a zip-up hoodie because I was putting hay bales out today. But um, so I fit in around here today. <laughs> but... um I would say with, uh, as far as being mayor, um, I like to think that I set a little bit of a bar here in our town. Um, so for the next guy after me, maybe people will expect a little bit more. Um, I've hopefully tried to set an example of what can be, um, I would say the mayoral thing has been more important than the farming mm-hmm. uh, as far as life work, whatever you want to call it, only because, you know, farming has been a chapter for me, right. and I really like doing it. And I can't see uh, getting rid of the farm. I mean, uh, actually, I just was asking somebody the other day, I was intrigued to find out I can be buried on my farm. Hmm. I don't have to go to a cemetery and pay for all that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So I might do that. Um, uh, and the stand-up, you know, you know, it's funny. I'll run into guys periodically in different cities, and they'll come up to me, and they'll go, oh, my gosh, you were a huge influence on me. You're the reason I started doing stand-up comedy. Or I really like that you have been your own guy, Um through stand-up, and you have always kind of stuck to your guns. Mm-hmm. And uh, that means a lot to me, because I've evolved as a comedian, and I'm a different comedian today than I was, but if one thing I've tried to do is stay honest about what I'm doing or who I am. Um, so, 
you know, uh, yeah. I'm proud of that. And, and really, a lot of my stand-up is going to slowly evolve into a book. I'm trying to write a book right now. I've been on it for about, well, off and on for about five years, but I'm really trying to get it done in the next year. Okay, great. We'll keep our eyes. We'll keep our eyes out for that. That'll that'll be fun. So yeah, how... hopefully, people are still reading by then. <laughs> as long you as know. you do the audio book, I think you'll be all right. So... Yeah, I could try that. <laughs> So how can yeah. learn, how can people learn more about you? Uh, get information about upcoming shows. You have a website, Facebook, Twitter, that kind of stuff. Yes, uh, on Twitter, um, I'd love for you to follow me. I put out humorous lines and sometimes funny farm videos and political insights and whatever. And you can get me on Twitter. Just look up Drew Hastings, mm-hmm. and you'll see me. There's a picture of me standing in a field. Um, I think it's hopefully it's the only Drew Hastings. Well, no, there's a few others on there, but you'll know I'm the one with the 38,000 followers or whatever. Um, and uh, you can find me on there. You can find me on Facebook. And you can find me at DrewHastings.com. That gives you – there. you can find a bios on me there. You can find out uh, when my tour dates are, my, you know, my, uh, my show's upcoming, and uh, – Sometimes I'll have links to videos on there and stuff, stand-up comedy videos, things like right. that. And um, and hopefully I'm going to start linking some excerpts to the book here in the next month or so. So, yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, Drew Hastings, thanks a lot for being on the show. Well, thank you, Mr. Meeker. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Drew Hastings again for agreeing to be on the show. That was a lot of fun, and I really appreciate it. Make sure you check out his website, drewhastings.com. Follow him on Twitter. Look for him on Facebook. And then make sure you check out our podcast page on our website at agriculture.com slash podcast. You can email the show at podcast at agriculture.com. And also, remember, you can follow me on Twitter, Jason Meeker. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.